You are listening to a sermon by Ted Hamilton, Senior Pastor of New Life Presbyterian Church in Escondido, California. For more information about New Life, visit us online at newlifepca.com. That's N-E-W-L-I-F-E-P-C-A dot com. 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, verses 11 and 12. If you don't have a Bible, the text is printed for you in the bulletin, and you can follow the reading there. This is God's Word. To this end, we always pray for you, that our God may make you worthy of His calling and may fulfill every resolve for good and every work of faith by His power, so that the name of our Lord Jesus may be glorified in you and you in Him, according to the grace of our God and the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. This is the Word of the Lord. Let's pray. Father, open up Paul's prayer for us today so that we might hear it and understand it and ultimately live it for your honor and for your glory. And it's in the name of your Son, Jesus, we pray. Amen. I saw an advertisement last week that announced in bold letters, New Year, New You. And uh, there were two photos in the ad. The one on the left, labeled 2020, showed a young woman on the couch in a bathrobe eating a pepperoni pizza. Uh, And the second photo, labeled 2021, showed the same young woman in a leotard doing yoga. New Year, New you. As I reflected on that ad, it it, uh, reminded me that this really is, that ad really is an example of the quintessential American religion, right? The religion of you. Self-help, self-improvement, self-appearance, self-glory, self-salvation. And that American religion has infiltrated Jesus' church, right? So much of what happens in in, in churches around our country today is about us. It's about getting God to uh, actualize our agendas. It's about essentially making Jesus... Uh, you know, your, your advisor, your coach to help you and your resolve to be a better you, to have less problems, more obedient children, a government you can trust, whatever, whatever it is you want. Listen, friends, if that's all Christianity was, I'd be the first to tell you uh, to drop it right now. You know, self-salvation, as, as James uh, was talking about, right, in, in the call to worship, this, this, this treadmill effort to, 
to, to, uh, to make yourself worthy is not good news. And Christianity is good news. It's the good news that God has come, that God ha- has, has intruded into our planet, into our time and our space. And if you're a Christian here today, the good news is that He has saved you. And He is going to glorify you. And He's going to get you to the finish line, which is really the starting line for an eternal adventure beyond our comprehension. It's about God writing us into His agenda. Not coming under us and activating our agenda. And of course, we aren't passive participants in what God is doing. We, we do things. We, in fact, work hard. And, and Paul here prays about those things. But re- behind your doing, remember this, friends, behind all of your doing, as a follower of Jesus, is is God's doing. Always God's doing. It's God's doing that enables and empowers your doing. So as we look at this prayer today, I I want you to be looking for those indicators of divine action, of divine initiative. Because it's very easy to read this prayer in such a way that you, you, you load onto your own shoulders a burden that isn't, shouldn't be there. Four petition, there are four petitions in this prayer. Four things that Paul is asking for. And what we're going to do today is simply unpack those four petitions in the order that Paul prays them. But before we do that, very quickly, I want you to notice how Paul introduced this prayer. There at the beginning of verse 11, he says, To this end, we always pray for you. Now, what does Paul mean when he says, to this end? What, what end? Right? To, to, to what end is Paul praying well to answer that question you have to look at the larger context to look at what he said right before it uh, which we looked at last week and 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 you'll see that what paul is doing there is focusing on your future as a believer in jesus christ right he's talking to believers like you who were in a politically difficult time who were in a physically dangerous time. And, and, he was, and he was giving them hope, and one of the grounds for the hope that he was giving them to help them persevere through these tough times was this future reality that Jesus was returning. Jesus is going to return in the future, and when he returns, he's going to judge. He's going to judge those. He's going to bring justice to those who, who have deserved his justice. He's going to bring relief to those who will know his grace. And he's going to glorify his people. 
So the end to which he's praying is this guaranteed, this God-guaranteed future you have if you're a Christian. That Jesus is returning for you. He's going to judge you. You will stand in that judgment and that you will be glorified on that day by Jesus. That's your future. And that just so, so be thinking about that future as you think about this prayer because what Paul is essentially saying is okay. With that in mind, right, with that future reality coming for you as a believer in Jesus, here's what happens now, right? Your future reality has present implications. What God is going to do for you in the future has present implications for how you live for Him today. And that's what Paul's praying about. And that's what we're going to unpack here. Okay, four petitions. First one is in verse 11. That our God may make you worthy of His calling. Well, first of all, let's ask what the calling is about. What, 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 when Paul says that God may make you worthy of His calling, what, what, what is that calling? And the short answer is that this is, this is God's call to you to become a follower of Jesus. It's the call that God made on your life that resulted in you becoming a Christian. It's the same call that Paul talks about in that wonderful verse, Romans 8 verse 30, that golden thread, right, where he says, those whom God predestined, He also called. And those whom He called, He also justified. And those whom He justified, He also glorified. So the calling that Paul is praying here that you will be made worthy of is God's effective and irrevocable call by which you have become a Christian. The fact that you are here today and know and worship Jesus is evidence that God has called you. Okay? So notice what Paul is then praying. He's not praying that you would be worthy to become a Christian. I think a lot of us read it that way. And we need to remind ourselves, if you need reminding, right, that no person, no human being, other than Jesus Christ, has ever been worthy of God's love, of God's acceptance. You've sinned. I've sinned. We have all sinned and fallen short of God's glory. So Paul isn't praying that you would be worthy to be to become a Christian, he's praying that since you are a Christian by God's grace, that you would therefore now become worthy of that God-given status you have right now. That's still a little bit troubling, isn't it? What does that mean? What does it mean to be worthy of being this, uh, being a Christian? Well, 
it's not worthy. In, the, the, the difficulty is that worthy can have different senses, right? It's not worthy in the sense of meriting or deserving, right? Worthy has that sense. It, it, it's not that you would, uh, he's praying that you would uh, deserve to be a Christian, that you would merit being a Christian. It's not what he's praying for. It's, he's praying that you would be worthy in the sense of befitting or appropriate to. I was really helped by a, an example John Piper uh, once gave. It might help you uh, with it. Imagine that the, the President of the United States is coming to SoCal and he wants to see how the other half lives. He wants to, he wants to experience the life of an average Southern Californian. And so you're notified that the, the president is going to come and spend the night in your home. Now, if that happened, I'm guessing that you would do what, what I would do, and that's pretty quickly get to work on the guest room. Right? And, and I would be getting to work on the guest room. Why? To make it worthy of the president. Now, it's not that my, I would make my guest room deserving of the president or that it would somehow merit his coming to, to my house. No, it's not that. I am, I, I'm working on my guest room so that it would be appropriate to a person of his office, that it would be suitable for the president of the United States. That's what Paul is praying that we would grow to be, to have lives that are fitting, that are suitable to, the, to our grace-given calling as followers of Jesus Christ. And that's really what the Christian life in one sense is all about, isn't it? God doesn't save you and leave you the same. He saves you to change you. If you've ever been to London, I, 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 when I was uh, in college, I, I, I was able to study there for a semester. Uh, if you've ever been to London and, and gone on the tube, right, tr the, the, the subway, you, you uh, undoubtedly have seen the, the signs and heard those ubiquitous recorded announcements to mind the gap. Such a British way of saying it. Uh, it, it's a warning about that gap that exists between the train platform and the subway train, right? They don't want you falling into that gap or tripping over that gap. Well, there is a gap in our lives between who we are in Christ and who we are in ourselves. By faith right now, you are clothed in the moral perfection of Jesus Christ. By faith, you've been justified, which means the, 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 the holiness, the, the, the righteousness of Jesus Christ has been imputed to you. That's yours right now. But in your own life, you haven't perfectly internalized and actualized that perfection. 
I think I can say that with confidence. I certainly haven't, right? We still sin. We still mess up. In, in Christ, we're righteous. But right now, right, that righteousness hasn't been fully internalized and actualized. You see, the Christian life isn't just about minding the gap. It's about closing that gap. Another way of saying it is that the Christian life is about you actually becoming who you already are because of Jesus Christ. Okay? Closing the gap. The biblical word for that is sanctification. Yeah, that, that progressive process of being made holy, being made more and more like Jesus. It's closing the gap. But now note, I want you to notice who ultimately closes the gap here. If you're like me, and if you're like my wife Linda, when we both read this, we talked about this, we read this first petition, and we immediately processed God out of it. Right? We, we read it, and what, what, what really came through was, oh my gosh, I've got to make myself worthy of Jesus. No, right? That's all kinds of misunderstanding there. But really notice that Paul is not praying that the Thess Thessalonians would make themselves worthy of their calling. He prays that God would. God is the ultimate actor here. God's the ultimate actor in justification, right? He is the ultimate actor in sanctification. I think too often American evangelical Christians think, you know, God saves us, that's all by grace, but now we're kind of on our own to grow in the faith. No! Paul's praying that God would act here. God's the ultimate actor. Closing that gap. So how does he do it? How does God grow us? How does he close that gap between who we are right now and who we're going to be on the final day when we're glorified? How does God close that gap? Well, the answer to that question is in the second and the third petitions. Okay, so let's move to that. We've just seen the first petition that God would make you worthy of his calling that your life would be suitable, appropriate to the God-given status you have as a child of God. Second and third petitions, also verse 11. That our God may fulfill every resolve for good, and this is your resolve, that they may, may fulfill your every resolve for good, you might say, and your every work of faith, by His power. Those are the two second and third petitions that God may fulfill your every resolve for good and three, that He would, uh, that he would fulfill every work of faith, your work of faith, by His power. I'm going to deal with those two together 
because I believe they're, they're connected, they're related. God fulfills your resolve to do good by converting your resolve into your work of faith. And he does that with his own power. Right? Another, another way you might say that is that God takes your good intention and converts it into faithful action. Right, so this, see, see, what's evident now, right, in the way Paul prays here, is that this process of sanctification, of closing the gap between who we are in Christ and who we are in ourselves right now, does not happen in our sleep. It doesn't happen automatically. God does it by His power, but He uses His power to do His work through your resolve and your work, your actions. Or you might say that God wills, might, God, you might say that God works through your will and your work, which is the way Paul put it in another place, famously, in Philippians chapter 2. Philippians 2 verses 12 and 13 really gets at the same thing that Paul is praying for here in 2 Thessalonians. He says in Philippians 2, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Now does that mean work so you can be saved? No. It means live out the implications of the fact that God has saved you. You're an unworthy person. God has come to you. And by His grace alone, He has saved you. He's brought you into a relationship with Him. Now, work out the implications of that. Live out the implications of your salvation. That's the first thing He says. And He says you can do that because, as He explains, it, for it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. It's an amazing verse, isn't it? Work out your salvation with fear and trembling, right? That's sanctification. Live out your faith. Close that gap because it's God who's working in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. So you see what this prayer in 2 Thessalonians is, 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 what Paul is really praying is really comprehensive. And you need to think about this. As you, as you pray for yourself, you pray for others, as I pray this for you, you pray it for me. It's really a prayer that God would radically, organically, comprehensively, powerfully intrude himself into your life as a Christian. I don't think we have any, a really good sense of the comprehensiveness of the way God mixes it up with us through his spirit. That, but this is really a prayer that God would, would intrude into your brain, your guts, your emotions, your desires, your will, your nerves, and your muscles so that you would 
resolve to do good so that you would desire to do good and then turn that resolve into a work of faith. I can tell you this, guys, the Christian life, in many respects, feels like you're doing it. It's going to feel that way. That it was your idea, it's your desire, it's your actions, your decisions. And in one sense, that's very true. But what this prayer underlines is that you would not be willing to do the good and you wouldn't actually have the ability to do the good unless God was powerfully, invisibly at work in you by the same power that raised Jesus from the dead. This ought to be encouraging. That, that, that God, when, when God saved you, He didn't save you and then, and then you know, set you at the starting line and say, you know, good luck. That God is with you. And he's, and he's working in you in an in a organic, powerful way. Doesn't mean it's the, that process is easy, though. You might think, right? Well, okay. I've got God as the ultimate actor in, in my sanctification, in my becoming more and more like Jesus. So if God is at work with His power in my life, then this ought to be a cakewalk. Sorry. It's not. You know, most, most often it's, it's difficult. Um, in part it's difficult because God ordains it to be difficult. We talked about that last week. Remember Paul said that the, the, some of the persecutions and afflictions that the Thessalonian believers were going through was the evidence of God's righteous judgment. That God is behind all the trouble and behind all the injustice. God is doing the right thing. And we, and we talked about how most often it's, 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 it's when things are difficult that our faith grows. Right? It's like doing reps on a machine. And the reality is we still struggle with our indwelling sin. Right? If you've resolved to, uh, in 2021, to spend more time with Jesus, that you, wanna, you, you want to develop a better prayer life, and you've, if you determine that uh, you know, the best time for you to do that would be early in the morning before you know, the, the family gets up, before you've got to go to work, uh, and, and, and what you will quickly find is that God will not levitate you out of bed to do that. It'd be nice, but He doesn't. And we struggle, right, with our, you know. Oh, the. So, sanctification, certainly for me, and, and, I, and I imagine for you, uh, do, does not move forward and up in, a, in an unbroken uh, curve uh, towards glorification. A and the reason is I fall, I fail, I backslide. I repent and get up again. You know, in, in that respect, I think we're, we're, we're like King David, right? But, but what I want you to remember and what I want you to be encouraged by in this, in this God-powered 
process of closing this gap that your salvation, as much as you might fail and fall and, and backslide, that your salvation is not at stake. Your works of faith, right, which are the good things you're doing in reliance on God's, pro God's word, God's promises. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. So you hear the word of God, you read his promises, you resolve to do something, and then by faith you, you do it. The Westminster Confession of Faith, our secondary standard, here in the, in the PCA, we, we, we subscribe to the Westminster Standards as faithful summaries of what the Bible teaches. The Westminster Confession of Faith says that our works of faith, the things that you and I do out of faith, are the fruits and evidences of a true and lively faith. Right? The work is the fruit and the evidence of the faith. Right. I have a few, few fruit trees in my yard, right? The fact that an orange is growing on, on, on one of my trees does not make it an orange tree. That orange is the evidence that it is an orange tree. That it was always an orange tree, Right? The orange doesn't make it an orange tree. It's just the evidence that it is an orange tree. In the same way, your works of faith do not make you a Christian. They do not save you. Your works are the fruit and the evidence that God has already saved you. By grace alone, through faith alone, in Jesus Christ alone. So this is the best incentive for sanctification, right? It's not some slavish attempt to, to, to earn God's favor, right? It's it, our, our sanctification, our works of faith, our, our gracious, grateful responses to the, to the prior saving grace of God in our lives. So whether you are... Um, resolving to be a better neighbor on your street or to read the Bible with your kids or to be more patient and kind to your spouse or to be content with what you have, to give more of what you have, to forgive that person who offended you, to talk about Jesus to that person at work, to spend more time with Jesus in prayer. Whatever it is that God is working in you to will and to work yourself, remember, Christians, remember this, that you do that from a place of total confidence and security in the love and the acceptance and the forgiveness of God that was bought for you by Jesus. power in the blood. Okay. So we've seen the first three petitions. Now the fourth and final petition. 
so this verse 12 so that the name of our Lord Jesus may be glorified in you and you in him so the what of this prayer the what of this prayer is that God would make your life increasingly befitting of one redeemed by the blood of Jesus the how of this prayer is that God works in your will and in your work to grow you into a person who becomes more and more like Jesus and now we get the why Paul is praying the why here. why is God doing this why does God save us to change us the answer so that Jesus may be glorified in you and you in him This may be one of the most countercultural truths of our faith, especially today. What this prayer reminds us of is that you, your whole life is dedicated to the glory of another. And that's completely contrary to the American religion, where your whole life is dedicated to the glory of you. Now, we as people called by and saved by uh, the Lord Jesus now live for his glory live that he might be glorified in us and us in him that you and him part right is mysterious and wonderful we talked a little bit about it last week this remarkable fact that one of the things that's going to happen on that in that future reality is that you are somehow going to be glorified in Jesus it's, it's hard to conceive of what that's going to be like John the Apostle John said it this way he said we are God's children now and what we will be has not yet appeared but we know that when he appears we shall be like him for we shall see him as he is right so to be glorified to have for you to be glorified in Jesus is somehow for you to partake in Jesus to participate in Jesus to to somehow partake in his beauty in his power in his love in his significance in his creativity in his sinlessness I don't know but I, I this is one of the things I was reflecting on this week as I was preparing this sermon man I am so tired of sinning and I'm so tired of sin and it's very easy for me to point to the sin of others that I am tired of. But man, you know, I am tired of my sin, of my sinning. The, the hurt that it brings and the, 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 the struggle that it makes life, the guilt and the shame and all of it. I'm tired of it. To, to part of being glorified in Jesus is, is going to be to be sinless. That's almost hard. It's hard to believe. It's really hard to imagine. 
But I, I look forward to it. I really look forward to it. Everything that we, we love and long for now, right? Those things, beauty, power, love, peace, joy, kindness, goodness, sinlessness, all of that is going to be ours because we're going to be glorified in Jesus and we're going to know it in infinite measure. You want to matter, right? Every human being wants a life that, that matters, that makes an impact, that where, where you make a difference. The only way that's really ultimately going to happen is if you are glorified in Jesus Christ. Right? United to, glorified in the greatest, the largest, the most beautiful, significant reality in, in all of creation. Called to participate with Him. There is nothing more significant, nothing that matters more. All of the desires that we, and, and our longings that we try to suck out of relationships and suck out of career are going to be fulfilled in that day. It's amazing to think about. Um, but the, the other thing is that Jesus, we're glorified in him and he is glorified in us. And, and that has present implications for us, right? That, that means that what you say now what you do now and how you say it and how you do it matters and it matters because it has to reflect well on jesus it has to bring jesus honor and glory you know we need to be thinking that way you know well as we make a make a, dis, a career decision before we press send on that email, before we post that thing on social media, we need to ask ourselves, is this going to glorify Jesus? Is this going to bring honor and glory to His name? Because that's what I'm about. That's what He has called me to. And, and just to encourage you, I'm, one of the things I've seen recently is you guys doing that in countless sort of quiet ways, especially in this pandemic, the way you have been taking care of each other, praying for each other. We can't go to the hospitals, but we pray. You guys bring meals. You, you buy groceries. You know, you, you, you play doorbell ditch, right? Drop a bunch of groceries on, on somebody's doorstep and hit the doorbell and run. But you guys, you guys are doing that. And friends, the world is watching. I know they're watching. And Jesus is being glorified. As Paul says in verse 12, all of this is happening because of God's grace. We, you aren't doing that to earn God's love and earn God's favor. You're doing it because you have God's, you have it, right? By grace. This is all according to the grace given to us in the Lord Jesus.
I thank you. I thank you for your godly, God-glorifying, Jesus-glorifying examples. It teaches me. It helps me. encourages me. Well, let me close with this. You know, how do we respond to this? It's a short prayer. It's a long sermon. It's an amazing prayer. I mean, the, 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 it's so packed with theology and truth and con- power and conviction, right? How, do we sh- how should you and I respond to it? Well, I think we should certainly pray it. And, and more generally, I, mean, I think we should do what, um, I, I just finished reading Dane Ortland's new book called Gentle and Lowly. And, and he says at the, in near the end of that book that uh, what we ought to do is, is really obey Jesus' command in, in Matthew 11, which, where, when Jesus says, come to me. And you know, Jesus, you know, praying is a way we do that. Praying is a way we, we, we come to him. So I think one of the ways we respond to this prayer is that we open ourselves up to Jesus. Let me, let me quote Dane Ortland to you as, as he closes out this book, his new book, Gentle and Lowly. He says, speaking of Jesus, he says, go to him. All that means is open yourself up to Jesus. Let him love you. The Christian life boils down to two steps. One, number one, go to Jesus. Number two, see number one. Whatever is crumbling all around you in your life, wherever you feel stuck, this truth remains undeflectable. Jesus' heart for you, the real you, is gentle and lowly. So go to him. That place in your life where you feel most defeated, he is there. He lives there, right there. And his heart for you, not on the other side of it, But in that defeat, in that darkness, is gentle and lowly. Your anguish is his home. Go to him. If you knew his heart, you would. Amen. I want to try something just a little different today. Before I close in prayer, we've... We've hit a lot of heavy stuff today in this prayer. And I'm going to ask you to take two minutes in silent prayer and reflection to reflect on what you just heard, to pray on what you just heard from God's Word. Maybe reflect on the sufficiency and totality of your salvation by grace to be thankful for the confidence that you have in God because of what Jesus accomplished on your behalf. Or maybe you've been convicted about where some of those gaps are in your sanctification process. Maybe ask God to give you the will and the work 
to begin to close those gaps for his glory. Or maybe, like Dane Ortland was saying, maybe you simply need to open yourself up to Jesus. Maybe you've been avoiding him because you think he isn't for you. Because the gaps are too, too wide. Your sin is too deep. Listen, come to Jesus, whether it's for the thousandth time or the first time. Because his gentle and humble heart reaches out to you. It's for you. And if you open yourself up to him, he will not turn you away. So take two minutes. It's going to seem like a long time. Presbyterians aren't used to that much silence, especially today. But take two minutes and, and, and pray and think. And after two minutes, I'll, I'll close us in prayer and then uh, James will lead us in our final song. So let's pray. Our good Father, we thank you. Thank you for the relief of being able to get ourselves off the center. For the freedom to live for Jesus and for his glory. Thank you for that privilege and that honor that you give to us by your grace. Father, show us our sin. Show us 
how and where we need to be more like you. But at the same time, Father, show us your heart of love and forgiveness for us and prove to us on a cross. Lord, may we be more and more like Jesus. And may your glory be enhanced by our lives. We pray this humbly, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. You've been listening to Ted Hamilton, Senior Pastor of New Life Presbyterian Church, Escondido. Please visit us in Escondido, California, or online at newlifepca.com. New Life Presbyterian Church Escondido reserves all copyrights as applicable by law. Thank you for listening.